Welcome to our podcast at the Clemson Foothills Church. We're glad you're here. Join us as we discover what the Bible says about Jesus loving God and serving each other. Feel free to visit our website at clemsonfoothills.com and find us on Facebook at Clemson Foothills Church. At CFC, we're just a group of people following Jesus and helping others do the same. So hopefully this podcast will be useful to you. Now let's dive into the episode for this week. Roxanne and I have been working hard on a big project, and this project is Roxanne's Chicken Palace. <laughs> so i got to give you the scope of this. We already have a coop that was professionally made, and we are making a chicken run that's adding on to it, and it's 8 feet tall, it's 8 feet wide, and it's 16 feet long. It is huge, yes, yes exactly. And uh, we had to have Michael come over. Uh, yesterday to lift the walls up. Roxanne and I can't, couldn't lift the wall up ourselves, and we certainly couldn't move it into place. This thing has a foundation it's sitting on. So uh, we've been working on this for a while, and we, we're probably way over our heads. Uh, and, and so we got the walls up, and we are trying to attach it, and the storms claimed it came in, and it reminded me of that that parable, you know, where you build your foundation on the rock or the sand, and our foundation is on the sand. I got to admit, literally, it's on the sand, and the winds came yet last night and blew on it, and we were like, "Did we look out there?" Because um, we were worried it was all going to break up and fall over, and um, it leaned. It was at thirty degrees this morning. We braced it up. Michael helped us do it, but it survived, and we continued work on it. We're working through it, and uh, we're very hopeful these chickens can actually run around in the new, the new palace. I'm calling it that. It is a, it is a palace. But uh, all goofing aside, you know, I don't know how you. I'm worn out. If you're out in this heat and you're my age, and I don't work outside for a living, and I do this stuff, it's like, when I come in, I'm like, it's nap time, I wanna, and I've missed my nap time today. I don't know about you guys, but how your day was, but hopefully you can shake it off as a 4 p.m. service, okay, I get it. And what are we studying? We're studying the Psalms. Wait, we're gonna do poetry today? <laughs> a lot of folks are going that snooze alert right there when you start talking about poetry, okay? But stay with me, it's going to be okay. It's going to be all right. We've been studying Psalms, and we've been going through the book of Psalms, not literally Psalm by Psalm, but we've been highlighting ones that we connect with, some that are, are very popular. And since Keith is on vacation, I got to choose the one I wanted to, to do. He wanted me to do 119, and I said no. Oh. <laughs> I'm not doing 119. I'm doing Psalm 73. So if you'll turn there, we'll get there in just a moment. But I think what we've already seen in our series of studies on Psalms is that they have a way of helping us connect with God. It helps us 
recognize our feelings and emotions, and then work through them and work it together with God. God, it always comes back around to God, whether it's praising him or acknowledging that he's supreme, that he's in control. And this is very similar to that, but I, I, I think what you see as we go through this is there's, there's a pattern of thinking. You know, we have patterns of thinking that we have to deal with, okay? So let's read it together. Uh, Psalm 73. This is a psalm of Asaph. Truly, God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart. But as for me, my feet had almost stumbled. My steps had nearly slipped. For I was envious of the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. For they have no pangs until death. Their bodies are fat and sleek. They are not in trouble as others are. They are not stricken like the rest of mankind. Therefore, pride is their necklace. Violence covers them as a garment. Their eyes swell out through fatness. Their hearts overflow with follies. They scoff and speak with malice. The loftily, they threaten oppression. They set their mouths against the heavens and their tongue struts through the earth. Therefore, his people turn back to them and find no fault in them. And they say, how can God know? Is there knowledge in the Most High? Behold, these are the wicked, always at ease. They increase in riches. All in vain have I kept my heart clean and washed my hands in innocence. For all the day long I have been stricken and rebuked every morning. If I had said, I will speak thus, I would have betrayed the generation of your children. But when I thought how to understand this, it seemed to me a wearisome task until I went into the sanctuary of God. Then I discerned their end. Truly you set them in slippery places. You make them fail, fall to ruin. How they are destroyed in the moment, swept away utterly by terrors. Like a dream when one awakes, O Lord, when you rouse yourself, you despise them as phantoms. When my soul was embittered, when I was pricked in heart, I was brutish and ignorant. I was like a beast toward you. Nevertheless, I am continually with you. You hold my right hand. You guide me with your counsel. And afterward, you will receive me to glory. Whom have I in heaven but you? And there is nothing on earth that I desire beside you. Amen. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. For behold, those who are far from you shall perish. You put an end to everyone who is unfaithful to you. But for me, it is good to be near God. I have made the Lord God my refuge, that I may tell of all your works. That's a journey, isn't it? That's a very emotional journey for me. 
And I really connect with this, and that's really why I wanted to share this with you. It's very meaningful to me. You see, he starts off and he tells you, here's where it is. He tells you exactly what he's going to talk about right at the very beginning. He says, truly God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart. But as for me, my feet had almost stumbled. My steps had nearly slipped. For I was envious of the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. He tells you exactly what he's struggling with. He says, I know God's good to the pure in heart. I know that. But, but I have a problem. I'm envious. I'm envious of folks that are arrogant and rich. They're doing well. There's something about it I'm struggling with. And I want you to just be thinking, can you relate to anything he's saying as he's going through this? You see, he knows God's good to the pure-hearted, but he's envious. But he's envious. So my first question was, is, all right, what's being pure in heart? What's that about? You know, if God is good to those who are pure in heart, well, I want to be good. <laughs> I want to be pure in heart. And I started thinking about it. And I, as I read through this, I think of the context of what I'm seeing in this. And you certainly can read into it with your own thing. The pure in heart that he's talking about are the people who have an undivided loyalty to God. There's no, there's no disloyalty. It's undivided devotion. The pure in heart is people who focus on what God wants. That's their focus. They want to please God more than themselves. They love God with all their heart, soul, and mind, as the commandment says. And I think this is important. The pure in heart are really truth seekers. They seek the truth. They actively look for what is real and true. What's true? I have my feelings, but what's true? My feelings lie to me. Sometimes my thoughts lie to me. What's true? They're not going to live a lie and they're not going to be hypocrites. To me, I think surely God is good to the pure hearted. So Asaph knows this and he understands it, but he admits his thinking has become distorted. When you have distorted thinking, that's not good. It almost causes him to fall away. He says he, he was slipping, he was stumbling, he was about to fall. It's only in hindsight that he's able to identify his thought distortion. And I'm, I'm using a word here, you know, some terms here, thought distortion. I'm no expert on this. I look it up. I just know this is distorted thinking here. <laughs> it's not right thinking. So as he's looking at it, he's envying those who seem so certain about life. Like they got it all figured out. They got it going. We have terms for that, right? He's got it all together. He's got it going. They've got it figured out. Like 
these people have no trouble. I got troubles. They didn't look like they were having any troubles at all. Can you guys relate to that? Have you ever felt that way when you're looking at someone and going, man? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I'm struggling. Why aren't they struggling? And so he, th- he, he will go through this thinking all the way from verse 4 to verse 14. But before we go to this verse, those verses and really read through what he says about it, let's talk about these thought distortions, okay? Because, you know, there's, there's many ways that we can just think wrong. Nay, basically, when you look it up, thought distortions are negative thinking patterns. You think in a particular way, and it's negative. And this, these patterns, these, these thought distortions, they can, they can seriously damage our lives. They can damage our relationships with each other. They can destroy them. They can hinder us even from becoming spiritually mature. So what are some common thought distortions? Well, one of them is, I'm no good. I'm no good. No one gets me. No one understands what I'm going through. No one cares. No one loves me. I can't change. This is the way I am. This is as good as it gets. It's not going to work out. Life's not fair. It's not fair for me. Those are thought distortions. The negative pattern of thinking that affects your choices, your relationships, how you interact, it's it's dangerous. See, what's happening is it totally ignores the positive. It totally ignores other possibilities. It obviously ignores that God's involved in anything. These patterns of thinking either minimize or generalize or magnify what's really going on. We have to be careful with our thoughts. If you look in Matthew 15, he calls out in verses 18 to 19 that what comes out of the mouth proceeds from the heart. And this defiles a person. For out of the heart come evil thoughts. Murder, adultery, theft, false witness, slander. These are what defiles a person. Remember, God is good to the pure-hearted. But he says, I almost stumbled. His, his thoughts, he envied. So, how you think determines how you feel. And how you feel often leads to an action. It's a dangerous path, a dangerous way of going. You've probably heard of think, feel, do, or feel, think, do. (laughs) It it leads to actions. You have to be really careful. So, do you ever have any thought distortions as I've described them? Yes. Yes. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Yeah, sure. Well, I really don't want to tell you in this public forum. Yes, I do. I, I will admit, I have thought distortions. And to me, this is very real. Because you have, there's a, a path to get out of it, to break through it, to recognize when you're having them. So let's go back through from verse 4 
what he's dealing with, what he's thinking, okay? He says, I was envious of the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked, for they have no pangs. And we'll come back to that word because that's a really weird word. Until death. Their bodies are fat and sleek. They are not in trouble as others are. They are not stricken like the rest of mankind. Therefore, pride is their necklace. Violence covers them as a garment. Their eyes swell at, out through fatness. Their hearts overflow with follies. They scoff and speak with malice. Loftily, they threaten oppression. They set their mouths against the heavens and their tongue struts through the earth. Therefore, his people turn back to them and find no fault in them. And they say, how can God know? Is there knowledge in the most high? Behold, these are the wicked. Always at ease. They increase in riches. All in vain I have kept my heart clean and washed my hands in innocence. For all day long I have been stricken and rebuked every morning. Really? Really? They're pointing. <laughs> These are feelings, right? These are thoughts. And they make you go places that you shouldn't go. Right. Do you see the distorted thinking here when it's always every? There's not one positive thing in here. I want to go back to that word pang, P-A-N-G. I had to look it up. I don't, you know, it sounds like pain, and then it's very similar to pain, except it's exquisite. It's intense. It's an intense feeling of anxiety, intense pain. Intensity, okay? Acute. So he's using words like that. They have no pangs, meaning I do. I have intense feelings. I have intense pain. I have acute difficulties. They don't. That's wild, isn't it? So he thinks the wicked don't struggle with their body image. They're fat. Their bodies are fat and sleek. Now, when you're in a culture that get a whole lot of food, that's probably an indication that you've got money and you eat it. You're able to eat what you want. Okay? In fact, I was thinking here, maybe this is where that slang fleek came from. Fat and sleek. Fleek. Something that's extremely got it together, good looking, attractive. Okay, right, just roll with me on that. Don't think too hard on that. Let's move on. We're going fleek on All right, so they have no troubles like the rest of us, they are prideful, they are violent. They have so much food, they can eat until their eyes pop out. Mm. I think that's what he's saying here. Mm. They, they have time to do whatever they want. They're powerful and they can threaten me. They talk against God and haven't even turned people against God. He's, that's what he's saying. And 
don't we feel that way when we look at the news and we look at our culture and we read things and go, we can feel this way. You can see, you can actually start thinking, maybe this is really the way it is. Yeah. Turn to 2 Peter chapter 3. Because this is, saying these things kind of makes me think of what Peter says when he writes in chapter 3, verses 1 through 4. This is now the second letter I am writing to you, beloved. In both of them, I am stirring up your sincere mind by way of reminder that you should remember the prediction of the holy prophets and the commandments of the Lord and Savior through your apostles. Knowing this, first of all, that scoffers will come in the last days with scoffing, following their own sinful desires. They will say, where is the promise of his coming? For ever since the fathers fell asleep, all things are continuing as they were from the beginning of creation. You see, when Psalms was written, that was hundreds of years before Peter wrote this. And it's still true. Scoffers got in around. He's not real. He's not coming. God doesn't know anything. God's not involved. In Romans 1, verse 28, he says, And since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. They were filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, malice. They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. They are gossips, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless. Though they know God's righteous decree that those who practice such things deserve to die, they not only do them, but give approval to those who practice them. When you read these things, you start to wonder, why would I be envious? Why would I be envious of that? Verse 9 in Psalm 73 says that there are their tongue struts through the earth. That's poetic to me. That's imagery. That pops for me. It's like that tongue's gone strut. <laughs> I get, they just say whatever once they want to have come out of their mouth. I'll just say it because I don't care what happens with that. I'm saying I'm just proud and boastful and I'm going to say and do no one can stop me. Asaph asks himself, if the wicked can act this way, and it doesn't seem like they have any trouble for it, why am I trying to keep my heart clean? Why am I trying to be pure-hearted? Why? If evil has its way, if evil can do whatever it wants, say what it wants, if they have the power, they got the money, they're looking good, why even try? Wow. They have it so easy, I have it so hard. That's wrong thinking. 
We have to identify it. That's wrong thinking. Right. It's easy to see when his thinking's gone wrong here. Why is it so hard? I mean, we can see it with ASAP, but it's so hard for us to see it when we're in the midst of it. Yeah. Yeah. It really is weird. We can be in the midst of crazy thinking, distorted thoughts, gone negative, and we don't even recognize it. How do we get out of that? And we'll come to that in just a minute, but what's amazing is that happens mostly if you're alone, without relationship, without someone that you have interaction with, someone that is helping you, someone that also loves God. That's how that happens. It's hard to work through our emotions to get to the truth. Look at verse 16 in Psalm 73. He's thinking about this. He's having these feelings. And what does he say? But when I thought how to understand this, it seemed to me a wearisome task. Think about that. When I want to work through these thoughts, when I'm thinking about it, it just seems so hard. I just don't even want to be with it. Isn't that wild? Yeah. I know I'm not thinking right. I know that there's stuff going on here, and it just seems too wearisome to address. <laughs> so often we won't try to work through our feelings and our thoughts because it's hard. We just sit where we're at. We just stew. We just stay where we're at. When we can get out of it. Right. It requires our seeking the truth. The pure hearted. The truth seeker. What is real? What's real here? What is feeling? Is it real? Is it true? If it isn't, I've got to get rid of it. You see that? I've got to look for what is true and address my thinking when it isn't true. Even if my feelings are strong and intense, if it isn't real and true, you gotta get rid of it. Right. So, in verse 17, this is where Asaph starts turning it around. It's cool. He says, he went into the sanctuary of God. This is where it occurs to him, pop. Wait a minute. What's true here? What's real? He sees reality. And this happens when he decides to be with God's people. When he decides to worship God. When he is praying and fellowshipping, it helps him to understand what's really true. And what's not true. Right. He sees that the wicked have no firm Footing. They're going to fall to ruin. He is able to understand this when he gets into the fellowship, when he gets into God's word, when he's around relationships who have healthy thinking. So he repents. Look at his process. He grieves for how he had been thinking. He grieves for it. What does he say to God? 
I let my soul become embittered. I was thinking like an animal. I was like a beast before you. He changes his thoughts. Look how it shifts. Okay? It says, and this is my summary, my words, okay? You follow along. I am with you, God. You hold my hand. You guide me. You give me counsel. You are going to give me a place in heaven. There is only you, God. There is nothing else on earth I desire but you. My body and my mind might fail me, but God, you are my strength. Those who are far from you will perish. The unfaithful will not remain. I need to be near you, God. I want your presence. You are my everything, God. I have built my life on you. I will tell everyone what God has done in my life. What a contrast in thinking. To me, that's inspiring. What an amazing song. You see, I find his thoughts and experience so relatable. I have to go through this process. I have thoughts and they're wrong and I want to sit in them. Sometimes I have them rock saying, I don't think you're thinking right there. And I'll be like, yeah, yeah. And we have to work through it, talk through it. And I have to examine it from another direction until I realize I'm not thinking right. So what am I going to do? What am I going to do about it? So the question here is, are you struggling with your thinking about anything? Are you questioning, why should I follow God? Why should I? When I look around and I see that people are totally evil, they got it easy, they don't have to worry about anything. Right. Why try and be pure? Maybe you're a disciple and you're thinking, I'm so good. I'm, I want to quit. Maybe you're becoming envious of those who are not disciples. Think through this psalm. Think how Asaph addressed his thinking to get it to the right place. Follow the pattern of this psalm. Work it out. Don't go, oh, this is too much for me to think about. Uh, not now, I'm tired. You need to address it. You need to work through it. You need to commit. I am not going to sit in this place. Don't give up. You know, I'm thinking, as I went through this at this point of Colossians 3. In Colossians 3, verse 2. Let's read that. We'll close here. <clears throat> Colossians 3, verses 2 through 4. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. 
to me, that really helps in changing the pattern of my thinking. So I appreciate your attention on Psalm 73. I hope that you found this helpful as uh, it's in God's word for this very reason. Let's pray. Thanks for joining us. If you'd like to learn more about us or have any questions, please visit ClemsonFoothills.com. You can also text Foothills to 94000 to stay up to date on everything going on here at CFC.